You're tuning in to the Be Fiercely You podcast, the podcast where women find their power and confidence by slaying doubt, creating a foundation of self-love, and by tapping into their inner fierce. I am your host, Heather Nicole, and I'm here to help you become the fierce queen you are meant to be. Together, we will conquer your fears, let go of others' judgment, and unlock your inner badass. So who's with me? Are you ready to take your life into your own hands and discover the possibilities that await you? Let's get to it. Hey guys, what's going on? And welcome to the Be Fiercely You podcast. My name is Heather. I am your host. And thank you so much for joining me today. We have an awesome episode for you guys. I had an amazing conversation with Kim Keen, who I could talk to for hours. Um, but she is a Reiki healer and a life coach. And we talk about Reiki and how it works and how she uses that work with her clients. And we have an awesome conversation about codependency, which Kim and I uh, both relate on on many different levels. Uh, So we had a great conversation about that. So if you're new to the Reiki world or if you have some questions on codependency, I know two very different things, but you never know where this podcast is going to go. Tune in because I have an awesome, awesome conversation conversation for you to listen to. So without further ado, here we go. All right, we are here today with the awesome Kim Keen. Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be a guest on your podcast. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you and connect with you. Um, so before we get started, why don't you just give everybody a little bit about who you are, your background, what you do, all that good stuff. Sure. So my name is Kim Keen and, um, I wear many hats. I wear the mom hat. So I have, um, two girls that are 12 and nine, and then we have fur, I have fur kids too, two dogs and a cat. Um, so when I'm not wearing the mom hat, then I have the life coach, Reiki healer hat that I wear. So I'm a life coach for women who are struggling with, um, trauma, but not realizing that it's trauma, unhealed trauma that's holding them back. Um, and then the Reiki piece falls into there because when I was going through my healing journey very early in, um, Reiki was literally a godsend. And so um, I was like, okay, I have to be able to offer this to others. Um, so that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Awesome. So I really, to start, I'd really like to kind of dig into the Reiki piece because I'm familiar with it. Um, I actually have a family member who um, has a business, you know, doing Reiki healing and stuff. But personally, I like, I really want to learn more. I'd love to get into it. But for people who have no idea what we're talking about, can you kind of give them the rundown of how it works, what it is? Sure. So the easiest way that I can explain Reiki is that it's energy work. And so um, it really takes that stuck energy that is um, stored in our bodies from past experiences and it helps to shift that out. So I use, um, it's all, it sounds very woo, um, but it's basically like, uh, yes, I love woo. So um, it's basically working with universal, the life force of universal energy. And so um, you can do hands-on or hands-off healing. So I have clients who live in Iowa, who live two hours away from me in Pennsylvania, 
who clients who live a half an hour away and um, they're not always able to get to me in person, so I can do distance Reiki too, and that's really just sending the Reiki energy from me to them at a distance. And, um, and that's really it. It's really just setting the attention. It's connecting with my highest self and the highest and greatest good of all, and really using the energy to help shift any energy that's stuck within the person that I'm working on to help clear it out, you know, get it out, and Mm -hmm. then um, helping to realign chakras too, which are also energy, meridians, energy points in our body. Um, If you've ever seen a chakra chart, it makes it seem like it's on the front of you or on your spine, but they're actually in the center of our body. Mm -hmm. And there are seven main ones. And so Reiki also helps to um, realign those because sometimes they get stuck or they get overloaded um, and they just get kind of energetically gunky. So cleaning it out. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, that's so interesting to me. So what would like a typical session kind of look like? So um, when I do, it's very similar whether I do in person or distance. So um, I connect with the person that I'm working on, I connect to my higher self, and set the intention to have the Reiki energy flow from me to them. And so um, I can do it in different ways. So I can have my client either laying down or sitting in a chair. If it's distant Reiki, they actually don't even have to sit. They can go about their business. They just have to be open to receiving the energy. Mm. Um, And so really it's about different hand placements on the body. Um, if you, if my client is laying down, I treat the front of them and then I flip them over and I do their back. Um, the benefit of having them sit in a chair is that I can kind of do the front and the back at the same time. Mm. And then distance Reiki, they can just, you know, go about their business. One of my clients, she likes to, you know, I say, okay, I'm going to, your session is Friday morning at 9am. She likes to get all snug as a bug in in a rug in her Mm -hmm. bed and cozy in her blankets and really just like you know, be completely relaxed and open for the energy. But I have another client who's like, nope, at nine o'clock, I got things to do. So I'm open to receiving it, but I'm just going to go about my day and just know that you're working for me on my behalf. And I'm like, it all works um, because the energy is flowing. So as long Mm -hmm. as you're open to receiving it, it will come to you. Um, And so it's really just, uh, I'll say strategic, but that's like a kind of a, a not a woo-wee word, but it's very much a flow. So I start from your head, and then I work from your head to your shoulders, to your chest, to your abdomen, um, to your pelvic area, down your legs, into your feet. And then it's the same thing when you flip over. It's um, working down from your shoulders, down your back, and then along the back of your legs, and then down your arms um, mm-hmm. to your hands. And then I, to end the session, I smooth your aura, and, um, and that's, that's it. So it's about a half hour to 45 minutes, depending on, um, how much energy there is to clear out. Now, is there like pre-work that you have to do with that to kind of figure out where these people are struggling <clears throat> or are you just kind of doing like an, an overall kind of energy clearing? So it's a, typically an overall energy clearing, um, but I have a conversation with the client before I actually start the session. So um, like my client in Iowa, when I did work for her a couple weeks ago, she was really feeling stuck with communication. So I really made sure to spend a lot of time 
and her throat area, which is where your throat chakra is, and that's the chakra that's really focused on communication. Mm -hmm. But she was also feeling really blocked, too, um, emotionally. So then I spent extra time on her heart chakra. And the other thing that came up in that session is that when I was working on her temple area and her ear area, there was a lot of energy there, too. So um, just, you know, being able to let go what other people were saying to her and taking that all in Mm -hmm. and internalizing that. So those were the the three areas that I spent extra time on. Um, But then sometimes it's just, you know, each area I go through, I'll spend three to five minutes there and I just know like, okay, it's clear, it's ready, we're moving on to the next area. Wow. Okay. That's really cool. Um, I might hit the book a session with you because it sounds, (laughs) I love that. Um, like, yeah, I've never had like any firsthand experience with it. Everything that I know about it is just from reading online or, you know, from seeing people like you share about it or my, my, um, aunt share about it. Um, it's so, it's so cool though. Um, so I know you do a lot with the trauma healing piece of it, of, you know, our lives um and we all have it we all have a little bit of trauma in there somewhere um so what kinds of things do you do to really get people to kind of pull that out because it's really hard sometimes for us to be able to take that step back and figure out what's going on under the surface so is there anything special that you do or any tips you have for people who are trying to figure out what's going on yeah so for me, my whole premise on helping people get past the trauma is really digging to the root cause of it. So um, just to give a little, um, I'll use myself as the example. So um, I left my teaching career and was really struggling with that back in 2014 and thought I was having an identity crisis because I wasn't a kindergarten teacher anymore. And so I ended up going to therapy thinking that she was going to be like, okay, Kim, you're having an identity crisis. Here are three easy ways to um, get over it and move on. And then it ended up being so much more than that. And she was, you know, first it was, do you realize that you're codependent? And I had no idea what that word was. I had never heard that word before. And so then I became obsessed with figuring out what codependency was and how to manage it. And that was a downhill spiral. So then it was, do you realize that you're an anxious person? And I never considered myself to be an anxious person. And then it was, do you realize that you suffer from childhood emotional neglect? And I was like, well, it makes sense with the childhood that I had. So, you know, in the year and a half that I went to see her, it was a constant um, conversation about being medicated. And I saw myself as a failure. So I could not um, medicate. I could not take the medication. And not to say that I'm anti-medication, because if it's something that will help someone and that is what they need, then by all means. But for me personally, I couldn't do that. And so, um, you know, each week when I went, it was like, well, how did that make you feel? Well, tell me about that time when. And a year and a half later, I still felt like I was stuck in the same exact place and I was so fixated on codependency and anxiety and childhood emotional neglect that I became this really angry, bitter, miserable person who, um, whenever something went wrong, it was like, well, I'm codependent or, Oh, I suffer from childhood emotional neglect and I couldn't get past those things. Mm -hmm. So then I, um, started working with a life coach and it was in that moment that I was like, Oh, those are labels. Those are patterns that I'm running because there's a root cause here. And so 
seeing the difference between coaching and therapy, I was like, oh, so in eight sessions of coaching, I was able to make more change and more transition than I was in a year and a half of therapy. And it was Mm -hmm. really because I got down to the root cause of what was causing me to, to run patterns of codependency, what was causing me to run patterns of anxiety. And the childhood emotional neglect was causing those symptoms. So that was the childhood emotional neglect was kind of like a root cause, but it was also more of like a pattern or like a surface level symptom. And so it's the same process that I use with my clients is really getting to the root cause. And so uh, living through the trauma is painful enough the first time. So no one ever wants to relive that. So when I work with a client, I never, um, we don't stay stuck in the story of it. We take the story, we take the situation and we get just the information that we need. And then we, to figure out the pattern, to figure out, you know, what that looks like in life now and how we can change that moving forward so that we're not rehashing the pain of the trauma. Um, because once is enough. No, no one needs to relive that over and over and over. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, definitely was stuck for a long time in my past based on, um, you know, just because of my um, past uh, relationship, my past marriage. It was very mentally abusive, physically abusive, emotionally abusive, you know, and it's really easy to kind of just stay stuck and victimize yourself in that. And we lose so many precious years staying stuck like that. Yes. And that was the thing that I realized is that, you know, the codependency was learned from my mom's side of the family, but also my dad's side of the family. And so I was like, Oh, this is generational. Like Mm -hmm. this is a pattern that's been repeated, not just from my parents, but my grandparents and their parents and their parents and their parents. And I was like, Oh God, I do not want this for my kids yeah. and I do not want this for my marriage. And so as soon as I learned about the codependency and the childhood, I was like, okay, we are breaking the cycle. Now the cycle has to end with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the time of going through the therapy and trying to break the cycle, I was actually perpetuating the cycle because um, I was a ticking time bomb with um, anger and frustration and just these feelings of defeat. So it was, um, Like, I was so unpredictable that it didn't take much to set me off. And then I was lashing out at everyone, lashing out at my kids and screaming at them like a crazy lady, lashing out at my husband, screaming at him like a crazy lady, (laughs) like just miserable in public. It was just, but then also trying to put the facade on so that everyone thought that life was grand and I wasn't having problems. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm very familiar with that mask. Um, so I kind of actually would like to dive a little bit more into this codependency because I've struggled with that for a long time. And, um, I've really been over the past year have been diving into a lot of healing around that for myself. So what did that look like for you? The biggest thing was taking on other people's feelings and their emotions yeah. and really sacrificing myself for the, at the expense of others. Yep. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I resonate with that so much. <laughs> yeah. Do that a lot. And just, you know, you just, it's hard to, because society, especially with women really puts a lot of pressure on ourselves on, on women to worry about everybody else, you know, yes. and God forbid you're selfish and do something yeah. for you. You know, I, I just posted about this yesterday because um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's just so easy to fall into that stigma and, um, you know, we don't believe that we're, we're worth anything if we're not worrying about everybody else. Yeah. All their needs ahead of us. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, so it was hard, especially with my family. So, um, I was very codependent with my mom Mm -hmm. and my dad and his mom, my grandmother, because my grandmother is like, she's my world. She's when I, you know, was in high school and I was in an abusive relationship with my high school boyfriend for five and a half years. My parents disowned me. My dad, I didn't talk to him for five and a half years. And my mom, our relationship Mm -hmm. was so um, tumultuous. It was just constant fighting and me lying and sneaking out and all this crazy stuff. And so then at 21, I had to start life back over. And then, you know, when I left the relationship, then my dad decided he was going to talk to me again. But in all of that, my grandmother was the only one out of all of my aunts and uncles, all of my family who stood by me a hundred percent and never stopped talking to me, never left me, you know, to feel alone or whatever. And so that my grandmother was the hardest one for me to um, set boundaries with, to not take on her, you know, emotions or her fears or her thoughts or her needs or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And on some level, my mom, too, because my mom, she is codependent. My mom has had a very traumatic childhood and um, horrific, actually. And so she still struggles and doesn't realize that she struggles with codependency. And so um, knowing that what my mom has been through, that was harder for me because I didn't want to make her feel upset or unloved or unwanted any more than she already does. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was not working because um, then I was miserable. I was resentful. I was tired. I was exhausted. And then I didn't have time for my own my own family, let alone myself. Right. And it was just this con- like constantly feeling like you're going, um, like trying to walk down the up escalator, you get nowhere. <laughs> yep, yep. And I think you, you kind of, you brushed on it really briefly, but you have to set boundaries. I mean, that's really the only yeah. way to kind of get around it and really start moving forward. Um, do you have any tips about setting boundaries? Um, that make it a little bit easier? Cause I know that's something that can, people can really struggle with. Yeah. So I think biggest thing is to just start small mm-hmm. with the boundaries because, um, typically when we don't have boundaries because our mindset tells us that we're not allowed to have boundaries or that we're going to be unloved, we're going to be disliked, we're going to be disappointing people, yeah. whatever the case may be. So for me, I just start really small. So every time my grandmother would call or every time my dad would call, I would immediately answer the phone. Like, literally not even one full ring. And I'd be like, hello? (laughs) And it would be like, I would be in the middle of doing something that would be important. And it was like, just drop it because, oh, my God, they're calling. And so I literally had to say to myself, the phone has to ring three times before you can answer it. Oh, I love that rule. So, and it's something so, like, so silly because I was still answering it. Yeah. But now I'm at the point where I can let let the phone go to voicemail with them. And I will call them back when I have a chance. Um, and that translates into other relationships too, outside of families. So, um, there's an acquaintance that I have and she sent me a text and I was driving my kids to a doctor's appointment and the old Kim would have pulled over and put the blinkers on and like responded immediately. And I was like, (laughs) no, it can wait until I get home. And, um, she then was 
emailing me. Did you get my text? And it was like, okay, whoa. So it was like (laughs) super important to put the boundary in place um, because I'm not going to respond when it's not convenient for me. And is she mad at me? No. Does she hate me? No. You know, when my family calls and I let it go to voicemail, do they hate me? No. Are they disappointed? No. It's all okay. And so I had to really change the story that I was telling myself Mm -hmm. about the need to answer every phone call, be there for every single person, every single time they needed something or thought they needed something or had a question or whatever the case may be. Um, because then people were overly reliant on me and I couldn't rely on myself for me. Um, so it's like just really changing the story around it. And then also really just starting small with a boundary. And like, literally I had to let, let it ring three times. I had to count one, two, three. Okay. Now I can answer to, to really desensitize myself to the phone ringing and it being someone in my family. Right. Yeah. So I actually have a similar rule, but mine is with texts. So my thing is in relationships, I feel that I need to answer my partner right away because my ex-husband would get on my ass if I didn't answer his call or didn't reply to his text right away. Um, So when I started um, dating the person I'm seeing now, um, there is an a situation in the beginning where he had called me in the morning and I was asleep and I woke up maybe 30 minutes later and saw he had called and I like just broke out into tears immediately. I was like, oh my God, yeah. he's going to hate me. Like, mm-hmm. I can't believe I missed his call. Mm-hmm. Um, So, and he never calls either. So I was like, oh my gosh, was there an emergency? Like, uh-huh. you know, because we usually are on text. But yeah, my thing with him is like, I see his text come through and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to respond right away. So now I've set a boundary where I'm like, okay, you need to give it at least 10 minutes before you respond to that text. Even if I'm not doing anything, I will just be like, nope, I'm not going to respond right now. It can wait. It's okay. And that has helped so much, so much. Yeah. Because when we respond immediately, it sets the expectation for them, exactly. for other people, that we're going to be available immediately. Which and is so, why your friend emailed you then and was like, hey, did you get my text? What's going on? Yes. And, um, you know, but there have been times where I've sent her a text and she said she was going to, te- you know, like send her a text, didn't answer until the next day. And then um, said she was going to respond to my email and never responded to the email. So Mm -hmm. it's just interesting where, you know, sometimes we get hooked, Mm -hmm. but then other people don't have the same follow through that they expect of us when the tables are turned. Right. And so that was eye opening, too, because then I thought, you know, then the victim story kicks back in of, oh, I don't matter. They don't care about me. They're just using me. Mm hmm. I'm only good enough when they need me, you know, when they need something from me. And so, uh, which sometimes it can be true, but then it's like, okay, if those are the people, if that is true for that person, then that's not really a person that you want in your life anyways. And then it's time to start increasing the distance with that person and really being selective with how much you let them into your world, um, into your existence, because life is short. And so sometimes we end up wasting our time and wasting our energy on the people and the things that don't really matter because we're so worried about what other people are going to think of us or we're so worried about what they're going to think of us 
and how they're going to feel about us. And we take that on. Oh, yeah. Yep. And I think this culture of this like instant gratification that we have now just adds to it because with social media and, you know, with everybody having a freaking cell phone nowadays, most people expect you to respond right away, you know, and they don't they don't respect time they don't respect your boundaries so if you don't put those things in place yourself then your people are going to take advantage of you like you said and you use you and then you start having all those thoughts and it's just a vicious cycle (laughs) yes and so um so and that's where too the other piece of it is you know we get hooked with expectations uh what people expect of us but that's where it's like i all i like to set standards um with how i you know, for friendships, for my relationship with my husband, for my relationship with my kids, because it's quantifiable almost, and it can be clearly communicated. So when when there's expectation, um, that's an idea that you have in your head that might be not communicated in a clear way to the other person, or their um, idea of the expectation differs. Mm -hmm. And so with standards, it's like you set the standard with your partner. I'm not answering your text message immediately. I'm not answering your phone call immediately. I will get to you as soon as I possibly can. That's a standard. So Mm -hmm. then he understands, okay, Heather's got things to do today. Her not answering me right away isn't a reflection of any negative feelings towards me it's that she has another commitment and as soon as she's done with that commitment then she'll get to me Mm -hmm. and so um it goes the same with my kids and keeping the room clean we have standards because I can they're measurable so I can say to someone you know I work from home I'm working with clients I will see your text message and I will get back to you by the end of the day yeah. If I haven't gotten back to you by the end of the day, it just means that I am tied up extra or I didn't get your message or your email. You can try again the next day. And people get, you know, they get it when they understand that you're really putting that, um, communicating it clearly with yeah. them and you're really communicating that it's nothing personal against them. Um, you value them. You want to communicate with them but you have your own self to value and, and communicate with too. So I think people understand um, when they when it's communicated clearly. And it's right. awkward to have the conversation too about setting boundaries because no one wants to have a conversation. <laughs> right. I know. It, it's funny because you do that and you still kind of somehow feel bad about it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But... Um, I was going to say something else and it totally, that thought totally floated right out of my brain. <laughs> um, was it about having the awkward conversation? Maybe. Yeah. Cause I definitely had plenty of those, but you know, what's funny too. And I think a lot of people need to realize is like, I felt so bad before those conversations. And then I had the conversation I feel better. They understand. Mm -hmm. There's no bad blood. It's all good. It's it's all good. But we're so scared sometimes to just have that conversation because we're so worried what they're going to say or disappointing them, you know, then all of our people pleasing tendencies come into play, all that fun stuff. Yeah. (laughs) And it, it takes it eliminates the assumption, too, because a lot of times we operate on assumption. Um, you know, we have this assumption that, oh, they're going to get back to me Mm -hmm. right away or they don't get back to you right away. And then the assumption kicks in. 
Um, and I, this still happens sometimes where I'm like, oh, she didn't answer me right away. Did I do something? Did I say something? Oh, oh my gosh, I must have said something. Oh, did I? Because did, I always don't have a good filter. So with <laughs> the podcast, you can't see my face. But um, there are sometimes out in public where it's like, I wearing a mask is really good for me because oh, my facial yeah. expression sometimes <laughs> give it all away and then it's like I don't have <laughs> I am the same way <laughs> yeah and um so I'm like well I don't think I'm I don't think I made a funny face at them I don't you know what I mean and so there's that codependency thing it's like mm-hmm. kicking in like taking in their their emotions or their thoughts or whatever and then I would say like no Kim you didn't do anything wrong like there was no argument. There was no disagreement. There wasn't any miscommunication. Like everything is fine. They're busy just like you. Mm-hmm. And so, um, not assuming the worst when someone doesn't respond right away or answer the phone call right away or, you know, do what they say they're going to do right away. It's usually not what we think it is. Yeah. And that is, that takes practice too to yes. get out of that habit. That overthinking, you're thinking the worst case scenario, that can be yes. tough. I've definitely yeah. been there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, so I think that go ahead. Uh, just one last thing. I think the other thing, too, that's really important, Heather, with, you know, dealing with codependency, because uh, the therapist said, um, you know, when you're being codependent, spray yourself with invisible Pam cooking spray so the codependency can slide right off and keep invisible scissors <laughs> in your pocket so that you can cut those codependency strings before they have a chance to attach. And I thought, what in the world is this lady talking about? Um, because it takes an incredible amount of self-awareness to even realize that you're being codependent in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the other piece of the puzzle too. It's like recognizing that there is a codependency moment happening. So really being aware of like what is triggering it. And I knew immediately, you know, once I started to pay attention and I recognized that like I am not codependent, I run a pattern of codependency. It was easier for me to step out of that and say, Mm -hmm. okay, what was the trigger here? What happened for me to go into that pattern of codependency? And then from there, I could do that one small step to break that pattern. Oh, yeah. That perception shift is huge. It's huge, huge. Um, and that's that's a great way to look at it, that you are not codependent. You just have patterns of it. Um, yeah. And that can apply to a lot of things, um, like with anxious behavior. You know, I'm not yes. an anxious person. I just experience anxiety here, you know. Yes. Um, it's super yes. important to shift our perspectives around those things. Because when you look at it as I am codependent, you kind of, like you were saying in the beginning, it's a label and you get stuck on it and... I think that's where a lot of us really have problems kind of moving past things. Yes, because the more we use that label to describe ourselves, the more that becomes part of who our identity is. Mm -hmm. And so it starts off as a habit, a habit of being codependent, but then it becomes your identity. And once it becomes your identity, it's so much harder to shift out of it than it is when it's a habit. So that's why it's really important not to describe yourself as I'm an anxious person or you're running a pattern of anxiety or having an anxious experience. Because once you describe yourself as an anxious person, it becomes who you are. And at the end of the day, you are not anxiety. You are not codependency. You are just having an experience with that. Right, right. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah, that's a great way to shift how you're thinking about it. 
Um, well, before we run out of time, I wanted to just t- chat about your podcast too. Oh, sure. Um, Kim has an awesome podcast. It's called One of a Kind You. And I just, I. Which you're going to be on next week. Yes, I'm so excited. Um, so that, so my, my, I just love the fact that you read your journals on there and kind of reflect. I think it's a really, it's a powerful tool that I think a lot of people don't realize is there for them. Um, I was so disappointed in myself because I've been journaling consistently for probably about seven or eight years now. Um, Mm -hmm. And my first couple journals were from the end of my marriage. And Mm -hmm. when we split up, um, you know, it was maybe about four or five months after that, I got into another relationship and I was like, I don't need these journals. I don't want to hold them to anything from the past. And I got rid of them. And now in the mind space that I'm in now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish I had those to go back and reflect on and, you know, see how much I've grown, see how much I've changed. Um, So what is, I'm sure that you've had plenty of like aha moments from doing that. So can you tell us maybe a couple of like the biggest impacts that you've had just from reflecting on these journals? Sure. And I have to tell you, I did the same thing. So um, I got rid of my first journal when I started therapy. And so that I literally just had a three ring binder with a pack of probably 150 pages of um, notebook paper in there. And I went back and reread that. And I was like, Oh, my God, I don't if I if I'm seeing this, like, I don't want like anyone reading these pages. And so I ripped up literally probably 150 pages of journal entry. I ripped them up and I put them in the recycling bin, tied up that bag and took it out. Mm -hmm. So I also got rid of my very first journal um, in that healing journey. And so the journal that I started with was actually my second journal um, for my podcast because, and then reading that, I was like, oh God, I, I don't really want any, I, like, I don't want anyone to see this, but here it is out for the world. So it is what it is now. Um, so no, the, the biggest takeaway um, was that I felt like I had to quote unquote, be productive to be valued. Mm. So um, going through the day, so my journal entry is me feeling like a struggling stay at home mom and trying to heal myself and take care of my girls and be a wife to my husband and um, teach part-time at a local university and, you know, trying to figure out what life was going to look like professionally for me after leaving my teaching career. And so um, I was really struggling in that time with finding my value. Uh, In my mind, it wasn't enough just to be home with my kids. So I was obsessed with having like this long to-do list and trying to get everything done on that to-do list in one day and homeschool Casey to get her ready for preschool and get them to, we had a literally an after-school activity every single day of the week, Monday through Friday, and then grocery shopping and laundry and taking care of pets and, you know, cleaning the house and all these things. I was exhausted, but it was never, never, never enough, no matter how much I did. And um, I just was so hard on myself for that because I was trying to 
find my value with external things rather than looking for the value of who I am as a person from within, Mm -hmm. looking at the things that make me me, being talkative and adventurous and outgoing and kind and, you know, um, loving and all those things. For some reason in my mind at that time, that wasn't enough. It was how much can I do in a day that says I'm enough. Yeah. Oh, I think that's so important because I think a lot of us moms get stuck in that. You know, we just feel like no matter what we do, it's not good enough or we're not doing enough things, you know, and we just run ourselves into the ground. And and it's, it's exhausting. I've, I spent years doing that and I refuse. I can't, I can't live like that anymore. You know, stay at home moms run themselves ragged Mm -hmm. trying to be, um, as worthy as the working moms and the working moms run themselves ragged trying to be as worthy as the stay at home moms yep. because the stay at home moms feel like they're not valuable because they're not quote unquote earning a paycheck. Right. But the working moms feel like they're not valuable because they're not doing the mom things with the kids and the kids are at daycare and everything is shoved into the weekends. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was where I was when I was teaching full time. I was a kindergarten teacher. So, you know, Monday through Friday, I had my classroom of 25 kids by myself. And then it was after school activities, laundry, cleaning, grocery shopping, all shoved into the weekend. And my house was always a mess. And so then I had this really not good dialogue about myself then. So there was just, it was a lose-lose. There was no, nothing that I could say or do to myself that was going to make me feel valued um, in either role. Because I was looking for, you know, the, and I wasn't on social media at the time, but like the Pinterest perfect house, mm. you know, the Instagram were the pictures and all yeah. of those things. But none of that really matters at the end of the day. Right, right. So how did you get yourself out of that cycle? So, and full, full transparency, there are times where I still do fall back into that cycle. Mm. Um, but really it was starting to really connect with myself Um, And so I became very um, committed to meditation. I became became very committed to journaling, not just the complaining stuff, um, but the good stuff too. And then um, really focusing on gratitude and looking around and being grateful for what I had and not in a toxic positivity kind of way. Like, oh, you can't just find one thing to be grateful for, um, but really appreciating the moment. Um, really trying to find the joy in things instead of just going through the motions. Um, but the biggest, um, I'll say, shift out of that um, was when I did a workshop on um, creating your best life. And the coach um, talked about or rules versus and rules. And so, um, like A and D. So when I was in that mode of feeling like I had to do everything, um, perfectly, it was, you know, I have to have a clean house and my kids have to be clean and matching outfits and, Uh. you know, pictures for social media and perfect decorations for every season of the year and every (laughs) holiday of the year and, no fussing when we go out in public and never being late for school at drop off and, 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 Uh and, and, and that's damn near, sorry, darn near impossible to meet, meet those expectations of having all of those rules, um, checked off. Yes. Every single day of every single week of every single month of every single year. And when I learned about war rules, I was like, 
Oh, got it. So war rules are more self-focused and only one thing has to happen and the day is a success. So it's like <laughs> I can I can smile at my kids or I can laugh at something or I can do something fun for the day or I can decide not to do laundry today or I can or 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 so you only have to you can pick and choose which ones you want to check off for the day mm, yeah. and that will make the day so much more enjoyable because you're not putting this immense amount of pressure on yourself yeah. to check all the boxes all the time yeah yeah and that pressure is ugh. That I think that's what gets a lot of us, that pressure, that overwhelm, that stress, and we just put it all on ourselves, really yes. for no reason, just because we think that's what we are supposed to be doing. Yeah, or because we've been given the message in some way from someone who doesn't really have any um, weight in our day-to-day existence yeah. of what life should look like or be like. And, um, yeah, so that was the game changer, but really just – Deciding what is it that I like? Mm-hmm. What is it that I want to do? One, just one thing a day to make myself feel like a priority, um, and just so that way I'm I'm not always thinking about everyone and everything else. Um, and just saying like, okay, I didn't get it all done in five years. It's not going to matter. It's all good. Like we're all living. We're all cared for. We have food in our stomachs. Mm-hmm. My yeah. kids are healthy and they're growing. Like. It's all, yeah, it it's makes all you, it forces you to kind of look at what really actually matters. Yeah. And I think that's, we yeah. all need to kind of take a step back sometimes and do that. Even at once a week, sometimes you need to do that yeah. once a day, take a step back and figure out what actually matters right now. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Because if we don't, we get so bogged down mm-hmm. in it. It just becomes too suffocating mm-hmm. and too stressful. And then it just perpetuates the cycle. And then before we know it, it's too hard to get out of it because we're so far in it. Yeah. Yeah. So many good things. So many good things. Um, Well, that's about all that I have for you today. Um, We're about running out of time. But the link's down below. But can you just tell everybody where they can find you out on the interweb? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram. And um, my Instagram handle is at Kim B. Keen. I am new to TikTok, so if you come check out my TikTok, no judgment. I was just telling Heather that it's, it's so cringy for me because I'm just learning and I don't want to dance on TikTok, but you just might see me. And it's the same handle. So all my social media handles are the same. And then my website is kimkeen.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on.